0: Welcome to Crado, with me, Father Andrew Eburn, to the podcast journeying through the various articles of the Creed, the fundamental statement of our Catholic faith. This week we turn to the Holy Spirit, and this is the article of the Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of Life. What can we say about the Holy Spirit? Well, let's start with the obvious. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Most Holy Trinity. The Trinity is one God in three persons, God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, and God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity. Now, we've been using these words for a long time in our efforts to describe the God who, being God, can be known but not understood. By a long time, I mean way back in the Church's history. So the theologian Tertullian, who lived towards the end of the 2nd century, seems to have been the first to talk about God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit being persons. Tertullian describes the Trinity as una substantia and tre personi, one substance and three persons. And that language eventually comes into the Nicene Creed and stays with us down to this day. Of course, one of the issues with this history is that our own understanding of words does not remain the same. As T.S. Eliot wrote, words slip and slide, will not stay still. Even in Tertullian's own time, although the word persona does mean person, it also means mask as in the masks a Roman actor might wear on the stage. Some people have asked, does Tertullian actually think God puts on the sun like a mask? And in our own time, we also view these words in a different light. Our modern sensibility, for example, really values the personal over the communal and the societal. It values subjective experience over objective experience, the concrete over the abstract, etc., etc. Now, there are good and bad things about that. A culture that privileges the personal is in a powerful position to respond beautifully to the incarnation. On the other hand, if we're always looking for personal subjective validation, that can really skew and distort our spiritual lives. Now, this is a huge subject in and of itself, but I mention it because it underlies our own relationship to the third person of the Holy Trinity, the person of the Holy Spirit. How do we relate to this person? After all, the Holy Spirit is the one person in the Trinity who is not traditionally conceived of in anthropomorphic terms, that is, imagined as a human being. We have conventional ideas of God the Father as a guy with a big white beard, which is perhaps a legacy of the book of Daniel. And then we have, of course, Jesus Christ in recognizable human form in the incarnation, but not the Holy Spirit. So you could ask, how do you relate to a person who is not seen as a person? Well, I'm going to suggest three answers to that question. As usual, I'm going to start with the Catechism. There's some really useful stuff here. My first answer drawn from the Catechism is the idea of relating to and understanding the Holy Spirit, not through what he is, but through what he does. The Catechism in its section on the Trinity, this is paragraph 236, makes a really useful distinction between theology and economy. Now, this is using economy in its ancient sense, actually a sense we still have today. This is from the Greek fathers of the church who, as the catechism says, distinguish between theology, theologia, and economy, oikonomia. Theology, theologia, refers to the mystery of God, what God is, and economy, oikonomia, is literally how he manages stuff, or even more simply, how he works. So, what God is and how God works. And the two go together because how God works shows who he is. And as the Catechism says, and this is useful again for our discussion, this connection is the same for human persons. A person, says the Catechism, discloses himself in his actions. And the better we know a person, the better we understand his actions. So, this is a human truth. And this helps us in understanding the Holy Spirit through what he does. As to what the Holy Spirit does, well, there's a whole uh, list of these uh, actions. You can see them in paragraph 688 of the Catechism. But just to take a few examples, the Holy Spirit inspires sacred scripture. The Holy Spirit assists the magisterium, that is, the Holy Spirit inspires and guarantees the church's teaching. The Holy Spirit puts us into communion with Christ through the sacraments. So this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in the sacraments. For example, in the Mass, when the priest prays to God to send down his Holy Spirit upon the gifts of bread and wine so that they may become the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and then the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in prayer. St. Paul writes about this in his letter to the Romans. He says, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And there are many, many more of these actions of the Holy Spirit. And Familiarising ourselves with these actions is part of having a good relationship, so to speak, with the person of the Holy Spirit. The second answer, or rather observation is not really an answer, to bear in mind when relating to the person of the Holy Spirit, is to recognise what I would call the reticence of the Holy Spirit. I like to think of the Holy Spirit being like a good priest in that he does not point to himself. The Catechism touches on this when it talks about the relationship between the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. And it says, this is paragraph 689, It is Christ who is seen, the visible image of the invisible God, but it is the Spirit who reveals him. Now, this is what I mean by the reticence of the Holy Spirit. You are not looking at him. He is helping you to look at Christ. C.S. Lewis says uh, something similar to this in his famous book, Mere Christianity. Lewis says, do not be worried or surprised if you find the Holy Spirit rather vaguer or more shadowy in your mind than the other two persons of the Trinity. In the Christian life, you are not usually looking at him. He is acting through you. So we have the idea of the Holy Spirit uh, being beside or even inside you, rather than you focusing your attention on the Holy Spirit in front of you. And then again, if we're talking of where the Holy Spirit is to be found in relation to me, in front, beside, inside, whatever we must, of course, turn to our Lord's description of the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the paraclete. Paraclete, which comes from the Greek word beside, para. Para um, is beside, cleat comes from calian to call. So the one called to be beside you. He's not supposed to be the focus of our intention in front. He is supposed to be beside us. Uh, as an enabler if you like the divine helper that greek word paraclete is then translated into the latin advocatus the holy spirit the advocate advocatus gives us our word advocate or lawyer and there again we have another similar idea the loyal or advocate is there to assist and to represent you but he's not there to take over the show The Holy Spirit is there to enable you to, well, to do all kinds of things, as we have seen already, to to enable you to see Christ, to strengthen you to witness to him, to remind you of his teaching, to prompt you in prayer. And then my third answer, or rather observation, is that although the Holy Spirit is not conventionally imagined in anthropomorphic terms as a human being, however, sacred scripture does in its wonderful variety have some beautiful examples of precisely that of the holy spirit being imagined in compellingly human terms and it's good to meditate on those and to be nourished by them in our relationship with the spirit there's a great deal of this uh, particularly in the old testament in the wisdom literature so for example book of wisdom chapter seven fantastic example But uh, my favourite example is the description in the book of Proverbs, chapter 8. So I'll just read this to you. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the sons of men. Wasn't that beautiful? That consoling image of the Holy Spirit rejoicing before the Lord, rejoicing in creation and delighting in the sons of men. Who could fail to be heartened by that description? Now, this has already been quite a long episode and we still haven't discussed what the Creed actually says about the Holy Spirit. So just very quickly before we end, the Creed says in this article, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. So just those two introductory phrases, the Lord, the giver of life. The Holy Spirit is given the title Lord to indicate his divinity. It's a way of emphasising that the Holy Spirit is co-equal in divinity with God the Father and God the Son. So we call all three persons of the Holy Trinity Lord. It is also how St Paul describes the Holy Spirit In the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord who is the Spirit. And that phrase of Paul's, the Lord who is the Spirit, also gives us the title. And then secondly, the giver of life. Now this is is another huge subject, and we really haven't got time to go into it, but as we saw from the book of Proverbs, the Holy Spirit is active in the creation of the world. In fact, intimately active and present. The Catechism reminds us uh, that the term spirit translates the Hebrew word ruach. Uh, ruach, which uh, means, uh, originally means breath or air or wind. So the Holy Spirit, the ruach, is the breath of God creating breath also the wind of god if you like the holy spirit first appears in only the second verse of the bible genesis chapter 1 verse 2 the spirit of god was moving over the face of the waters so you have the holy spirit imagined as a divine wind moving across the sea and we see then throughout salvation history these images both of the Holy Spirit as the breath of God and of the Holy Spirit hovering above in creation. So it is the breath of God that breathes life into Adam. This is Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. There you have the Ruach again. And then moving eons into the future, when Jesus, after his resurrection, gives the Holy Spirit to the disciples, what does he do? He breathes upon them. John chapter 20, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And there we see a new act of creation, the creation of the church through the creative breath of God, the Holy Spirit. And then another example, last one, the same creative spirit is active in our baptism when, as Jesus says, we are born again, recreated if you like, born again of water and the spirit in order that we might enter into the kingdom of God. But that now really is quite long enough for one episode. Next week, we will move on to the second article of the Creed on the Holy Spirit before, actually, pretty soon concluding the entire series. For now, let's end by saying the traditional invitation to the Holy Spirit, the prayer, Come, Holy Spirit, or Veni Sancte Spiritus. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same Spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me this week, and do please join me again next week for the next episode and the next article of the Creed. May God bless you all. And may he specially bless that journey of discovery we make together into the beauties of the Catholic faith. Amen.